USA podcast, a show featuring conversations with leading practitioners of videographic criticism. On today's show, I sit down with Maya, the YouTuber best known as Broy de Chanel. Before I get to my conversation with Maya, I first want to direct you to my newsletter, Notes on Videographic Criticism, which can be sent to your inbox every other Sunday. Each newsletter features a mix of original essays, video essays, video essay-related news and notes, short interviews, and more. You can subscribe to the free newsletter at thevideoessay.com or thevideoessay.substack.com. Please also consider supporting the show, the newsletter, and all of the other work that I do on Patreon at patreon.com slash the video essay. Every other Monday, subscribers to my Patreon page get free, quote, videographic introductions, end quote, to certain moving image related topics. These are essentially video essay guides that will hopefully shape your viewing and introduce you to new subjects, directors, and films. If you'd like more information about me and the work that I do, please visit thevideoessay.com. And now, without further ado, here's my conversation with Maya. I am very pleased to be joined by Maya, who perhaps is better known uh, to the hundreds of thousands of subscribers uh, that she has on YouTube as Broy de Chanel. Um, if you are at all familiar with the video essay landscape on YouTube, I'm sure you've encountered Maya's uh, videos. Uh, Maya, welcome to the video essay podcast. I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> Amazing. On the show, we start off with a first basic question, and that is, what is your origin story? When were you first introduced to video essays, and what inspired you to begin creating videos yourself? You know, were there any videos or video essayists that you encountered online that you watched and you're like, whoa, I have to... I have to try this myself. Yeah. So I got into video essays around 2018. Um, I kind of had a big hiatus from YouTube in terms of like what I was, in terms of using YouTube. Um, I had watched it a lot as like a kid and then thought it was kind of lame. And then video essays kind of brought me back into that world. Um, I just liked how they kind of made these difficult topics very accessible to people um, and kind of bridged the gap between academia and like public the public domain. And so in 2018 I was watching a lot of like Lindsay Ellis and Nerdwriter and you know their videos are insanely entertaining. And I was already kind of inspired by them and then I went to watch Blade Runner 2049. Um, and I'm a huge Blade Runner fan, so I was very excited about it and I loved it. But I had a lot to say about it and like a lot of um, conflicting feelings. Um, so I thought that was kind of the perfect uh, avenue into YouTube. So I made that essay and then it kind of got discovered by, I don't know if it's like the incel community or just MRAs, but just a lot of angry dudes. Um, and I kind of got like harassed off YouTube basically. Oh my um, God. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of dipped out from there. And then a year later, my partner bought, this is such a lame, sounds like it's such a lame origin story. <laughs> like I made this up, <laughs> but he, uh, he bought me a Yeti microphone, <laughs> the one I'm using for Christmas. And he was like, I think it'd be great if you started making video essays um, and taking it seriously, um, because I know that's like kind of what you want to do. And so I started and I made a video about Parasite, which in hindsight is very clickbaity and very um, grad school 101. But I made that and it 
I kind of made it at the perfect time because um, Parasite, like a month into it, won the Oscar. And so when it when it won the Oscar, the video ended up blowing up and going viral. And that kind of, I've just been kind of riding that wave since then. Um, and ever since I've just been making a video a month about different topics that interest me. I love that origin story, even though part of it is terrifying. I'm so sorry that you <laughs> had to go through that. Um, although your partner sounds really sweet. And where would we be without the Yeti microphone? It's what I'm, where would we be? I'm also using. But, you know, the horrible incel online awfulness aside, one thing that you say that resonates with me about your origin story is you talk about this accessibility of the video essay as a format, right? Where it's this blending together of all these different types of sources, whether it's like a really you know, sophisticated piece of scholarship or a news article or a social media post. And it really feels like a way to, to feel one's way around certain topics as they're first getting exposed to them. And I think that's something I definitely relate to when I first started making video essays, because the thought of like writing something down, submitting it to a publication felt so overwhelming as like a concept. So I was like, wait, you can you can self-publish on Vimeo and YouTube and interact with all these other people who don't claim to be so-called experts. So what led you, you know, A, do you, do you, do you agree with that? Um, it seems like you might. And what led you to YouTube specifically as a platform as opposed to maybe a, a Vimeo or something? What, what was it about YouTube specifically that you found so appealing? Yeah, so I think, well, YouTube, uh, I have my own thoughts about it now just because of kind of various experiences with the platform, <clears throat> being a creator on it um, with like monetizing videos and stuff. But it, it is sold as this kind of democratized space where I think, you know, I can get I can do these kind of academic style essays, which is kind of like what I was doing in school, but without any of the institutional barriers. So like, you know, applying to a magazine, you have to have a lot of expertise and like, you know, pitching and stuff like that. And you you really have to do the grunt work. Whereas YouTube kind of has this magical thing, especially right now, I think we've, we're kind of getting it in this magical moment where you can go viral quite easily, actually. Um, I think that there's like, it's not so saturated to the point where, um, there's too much going on on it. Um, it's kind of just at this peak moment. Um, so I think that's kind of what I like about YouTube um, is just that virality is really accessible on the platform. And I'm seeing like all these people um, kind of who are my peers in a way blowing up at the same time. And like I'm seeing a lot of women, women of color, people of color kind of getting a voice on the platform that they wouldn't otherwise. Um, in terms of other video sharing platforms, I mean, I've been approached by a lot of alternative um, um, video sharing networks. In terms of those, I think, I mean, unfortunately, YouTube just has a monopoly. Uh, and it's, it's just very hard to be allured by uh, different platforms like that. Um, with Vimeo, I'm not very experienced with Vimeo, but I've always kind of viewed it as like an industry tool um, in the way that I know a lot of kind of small filmmakers and they put their videos on there because it it doesn't have a lot of like the YouTube has a lot of kind of um, posting barriers, like just in terms of like censorship and stuff. And I feel like Vimeo might not have that as much. And it's just a bit more um, friendly to creators who aren't YouTube creators is what I've kind of gotten from it. But I also don't use it a lot. So that's a very uneducated opinion. Yeah, no, I, I think that's totally accurate. Like, I feel like I think of Vimeo as the place you go where maybe you want to have something embedded on your portfolio, or you want to send a video to a film festival or, you know, something to that degree. And I think you make an important distinction because I feel like so often when we talk about YouTube, we're talking about the people who are on YouTube and not like the company 
because at the end of the day, it is like Google and a huge <laughs> problematic terror of, of, of capitalism. And, you know, there's a lot to unpack in what you just said, but I am curious, as you as you alluded to, that you are in this space now where you monetize your videos and I see that you have ads and you get hundreds of thousands of views. And, you know, in one of the first conversations on this podcast, I talked with Grace Lee, who runs the page What's So Great About That? And we were joking about like the algorithm TM, like the, the, the you know, the behemoth that no one really knows how it works or, or what it does. Um, and I'm wondering how that YouTube's focus on virality and the algorithm shapes the content that you choose to create or does it not? Take us inside how you choose a topic and all the different factors that influence the topic. Yeah. So kind of multi-parts to my answer, but... Um, yeah, I gave you a multi-part question, <laughs> multi-part so that's kind of on me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you know, when I first started making videos, I was kind of just, because I wasn't making money, you're not really thinking about salience and like the salience of a topic. Um, so like I made a video on showgirls, which is essentially like algorithm poison. It's like so much nudity, so much swearing. So it's just all like everything you could imagine um, that would be censor fodder is in that movie. Um, and I didn't care. And it's one of my favorite videos that I've ever made. Um, and it ends up doing pretty well in the long run. But now, especially because one, I have a sponsor for each video because I'm only making one video a month and it's my full-time job. It's kind of like the video has to perform well and there's a lot of pressure on it to do that. So I've been finding that I've been noticing a lot more what YouTube's kind of ethos is when it comes to art Um, And when it comes to uh, media criticism, and I think it's a very conservative one. Um, I think a lot of, you know, I I feel like my content is very sex positive. And like I made a video about um, videos, um, movies about stripping um, a couple months ago, and the video got demonetized and age restricted, which is like fair to an extent. But also, if you're going to purport to be a democratized platform that's completely contradicting the idea of like whatever i don't want to say free speech but you know freedom of expression um and i think that youtube is very contradictory because at the end of the day youtube is a corporation and they're acting in corporate interests essentially um so now like i i'm trying to be a bit more um refrained uh or restrained with the type of content i'm posting on youtube but i think that you know, this is why things like Patreon are so important because if I can start posting other videos on Patreon, I'll have a lot more flexibility with the type of content I make and I won't have to censor myself because I think that that is going to be the death of media criticism is when we start having to censor ourselves. Like that's, I find that very troubling. Um, So I'm hoping to kind of post more, whatever, non-salient uh, topics on Patreon for people to watch. But yeah, it's the algorithms definitely very much affected the type of content I make, um, which is quite upsetting to me. (laughs) Um, And I've talked to some other YouTubers, we have a Discord, and um, they were saying that like YouTube now also favors, like the algorithm favors uh, frequency and consistency. So a lot of these like creators are facing extreme burnout because they're making like a video a week with the assumption that they're going to, you know, um, be penalized if they don't keep creating content. And I think that's so dystopian. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Jeez, that... (laughs) <laughs> That's incredibly bleak. And again, I think if there was any doubt that YouTube is a corporation, you've just <laughs> provided several examples of that. In your life. Because I think, you know, I, I found myself doing this where I, you know, when I hear, you know, 
um, archivists give talks about preserving moving images or what have you, they're constantly saying YouTube is not an archive, right? It, it is not like a public entity, a, a public forum, uh, you know, or any of those things. Um, you mentioned that you that YouTube has this conservative ethos and you the example you gave was videos about stripping. But I'm wondering, have there been any other examples of that you were particularly surprised by or that the audience might be surprised that YouTube seems to want to discourage on the platform? Yeah. So there, I mean, when I first started on YouTube, there was this huge kind of discourse about um, censorship of queer content. And I've noticed that like in my own videos, like I don't make videos specifically that are about like um, queer theory or anything like that. But there are a couple of videos where I've kind of focused on that. Like I did one on Killing Eve and I named it Queering Eve. Um, And someone in the comments was like, you should be careful using that word in a title because that's like algorithm poison. I keep using that term. Um, So that's like incredibly harmful, especially to the queer community. And then um, I don't know, like I've seen like some like people I know posting videos and they'll censor the word abuse in the video. And it's like, I think the problem with the algorithm is like black boxing. Like we have no idea what the rules of the algorithm are. So people are just guessing at this point, like there's no list of words telling you what not to say. And like, there are huge YouTubers out there who like swear in their videos, who make sex jokes and they're not penalized. But then I feel like I'm penalized every time I, you know, whatever, do anything. Like my ads are limited on almost every video. Um, And I, not almost every video, but a lot of videos. And I think that it's just because we have no way of knowing and because it's so random, um, it feels even more kind of restrictive in that way. I think I have 70 YouTube subscribers, so I wouldn't say that I'm a YouTube influencer. So when you get to someone at your level where you have a large audience, does YouTube reach out? Or do you have conversations with people there as trying to, I mean, because it's not your job to to fix this, but I'm wondering, does is it your sense that YouTube takes proactive steps to try to make this better? And I guess my question is, have you seen it improve over time? And do you have faith that it will improve? I mean, not to be absolutely so negative, but I, I honestly think it's getting worse. Like I've, I just had in my most recent video, a news segment copyrighted and I had to take the video down and repost it. Like not, I, it was unlisted, but I had to repost it again without the segment. Um, I've had girls who, like I was talking to one of my fellow creators and she said that music videos, just the visuals of a music video will be copyrighted now. And a lot of the time when you appeal at the copyright claim, um, they can just take down your whole channel. Like they can, they can take a really disproportionate measure against you to scare you out of actually appealing anything. So I think I'm a little worried that it's getting worse, but I will say that YouTube does have a really good system, like a chat system. So whenever I've run into some serious problems with videos, like I'll go to the, it's like a creator chat. Um, once you kind of reach the creator, whatever, uh, milestone, you can kind of access this and you can talk just like an actual person um, one-on-one. And I found it's like pretty helpful. They can't really help you with like major things, but um, I do think that they, it's nice that they have that in place. It's kind of like the least they could do, but um, they do have that. Well, that's good to know um, and <laughs> good to to be aware of. Pivoting slightly to maybe something a little more fun and less consequential. I'm very interested in like the small details of like what goes into being a YouTuber. And one thing I'm obsessed with is looking at people's thumbnails 
on videos because it seems, you know, I we talked I talked a lot about this with um, Shannon Strucci um, when Shannon was on the podcast, and one of the things we were talking about is the level of thought that goes into the cre- creation of a thumbnail. And I was wondering if you, you know, I like your thumb your thumbnails on your videos, and I was wondering if you had any if you had a philosophy or thoughts on what makes a good thumbnail and whether you think those are important to the video itself. <laughs> yeah, totally. I it is so hard. I feel like the more I do it, the more difficult it gets to make a good thumbnail. Um, I So my partner makes them for me now. He's like, he works in advertising and he like has a lot of experience with Photoshop. So um, I've kind of left that to him, but we collaborate on each thumbnail. Um, and I used to make my own. I did like a lot of research before I started making videos about kind of what draws people's attention on YouTube and what kind of like, you know, garners views, like what, what kind of visuals do that. And like, I was, I kind of, uh, found out that, you know, like people are very drawn to faces. So, um, a face and a thumbnail will garner a lot more views than like, I don't know, an inanimate, an inanimate object, for example. Um, apparently like hypersaturation, like hypersaturated imagery, um, does a lot. Um, I kind of like to play with like focus in the thumbnails and kind of like hyper-focusing on something. We're getting there. We haven't (laughs) mastered that yet, but I, I do like kind of like isolating something out of a background and just, kind of finding a good balance between that and also like um very eye-catching text um because like i think font like i i feel very fixated on font these days because of kind of making these videos when i watch movies now i'm like oh bad font um which is so annoying for people who watch movies with me but um yeah i think that finding like a nice sleek font that's like very accessible for people is good and just kind of figuring out like what you want in the text um are all kind of things to think about but yeah it's definitely a balancing act and a a good thumbnail goes a long way (laughs) so much goes into the creation of your videos clearly right they're 30 40 minutes you know ties so many things together but i think so often start with a focus on a single media object, whether it's like a film or a television show or, or what have you. And you're, I've noticed that the titles of your videos typically focus on that one media object, but of course there, there's so much more happening in, in, in your videos beyond that one thing. I'm wondering what your philosophy is on creating a title. Like, do you find it's, do you ever feel that the title doesn't fully capture the essence of the video or is that not, is that the wrong way to think about it? No, no, no. It makes sense. Yeah. It's kind of weird because like you kind of, in a way have to think about like SEO um, when you're making like search engine optimization, uh, when you're making a title in a way, I'm not super savvy with that, but like kind of starting with like where, what, when, why, how, and like those kind of words um, and kind of using these very casual phrases and like shorter phrases really help with titles. Um, But yeah, I tend to like I don't know. You don't want to get too academic as well. Like you don't want to fall into like the whatever clause, colon, clause kind of thing or like name of the thing, colon, very long thing related to it. Um, So it's kind of a balance between that. But yeah, I like to focus kind of on the media object because that's what's going to garner like a niche audience or like whatever kind of like an audience for that. And then that'll kind of be like an entry point to these more esoteric topics on top of that. So like that's kind of like my philosophy for approaching the channel in general is just kind of using media as kind of an entry point to academia. Um, Sometimes I do that better than others. Like sometimes I think I'm just taking a a media object and then just applying one theory to it. And I think that's kind of um, limiting, but I've been trying to get better at kind of creating like a more expansive argument 
around said media object, I guess. Right. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. And in talking about the academic, so I would say the, the, the audience of this show is probably primarily skews more towards academic and the kind of the video essay making or videographic criticism that is, you know, being made at an academic level. And one of the conversations that is happening among academic video essayists is talking about the in-video citations as in, in, insofar as it, it's very common to cite an academic written source in a video essay, but it is perhaps less common to cite another video essay within a video and to kind of build that, you know, those layers of citation that are so common in, you know, written scholarship. One thing I really appreciate about your videos is that you're constantly quoting and citing the work of other YouTube video essayists. Um, and I think there's actually a lot that um, academic video essayists can can learn from your videos and from, from YouTube video essayists as far as, you know, seeing what else is out there in, in the field. And we're going to transition shortly to your video, The Liberal Escapism of Bridgerton, and you, you do this in that video um, where you, you say others have said this better than I or have said it in this way, and you incorporate those videos. My, my question for you is how important is that in the work that you do? How do you, how do you think about that? And how do those, it, it seems to me that that does a really great job of making your videos feel like they're part of a, a community and part of a conversation of all these different people going back and forth. Is that partially how you think about it? Yeah, I think I think with especially like academic video essays, we're kind of the rules of academia aren't applying to academic video essays on YouTube. So like I could completely <laughs> I could almost plagiarize someone's work in like an essay and not be penalized for it by like the academic institution because like I just don't operate in that sphere. Or, like my video is not a part of that sphere. So I think trying to like approach YouTube as kind of like a literature or like as a sort of discourse in itself and like as an academic discourse is a helpful way to kind of give credit to people. I think that like if you're going to be looking at when you're making a video, you don't want to make a video about a completely random you don't you want to make a video that's original and not a topic that everyone's already made a video about. So you're already going to be scoping out the literature. And so it is kind of like um, you know, approaching an essay like you don't want to be or a study, like you don't want to be making a study that someone else made. Um so I think if you're gonna be doing like the literature review on YouTube, you should be acknowledging what the other lenses on this subject are. Um certain times it, it's more like necessary than others. Um but I think even for the Bridgerton one, like there are more imminent problems than the one I was discussing in my video, but I, it just wasn't necessary for me to talk about them, nor was it even like my place in some ways to talk about those issues. So like, yeah, it's better to direct someone's attention elsewhere. So yeah, I think it depends on like how much their topic overlaps and how much it kind of um, has informed your video. Like I recently cited Be Kind Rewinds video because I got my entire video idea from her video. So it's kind of like, it depends on how like relevant it is to the subject at hand, I guess. Right. And I think it also, I think the, there is a, I mean, th this is somewhat founded, but I think the the take that, like if you go on film Twitter, for example, and you, you listen to like, you know, general generalizations made by people about the kind of work that is on YouTube, it, it, it seems like a lot of people be like, oh, on YouTube, it's just these like hot takes of people like trying to say that their, their view is the definitive take on this film or the definitive reading 
thing or what have you. And it seems to me by, you know, I don't, I don't think that's true for a ton of, a ton of videos on YouTube. And, but it seems to me like that citation really is pushing back on that by saying, it's just, it's, just, it's a subtle reminder, like, Hey, I'm just one person providing, or a couple of people providing a, one perspective or multiple perspectives on this media object. But Hey, go here, go here, go here, consider this. This is what I'm thinking about. And it really seems to me to be opening a conversation and continuing a conversation instead of closing one off. One follow-up question that I had was not only do you refer to other videos in your work, but you refer to videos that you've yourself have made in, in the past that kind of make it seem like you're having this ongoing dialogue with yourself. Like I think at one point in the liberal escapism of Bridgerton, you say something like, well, we're back to this topic of neoliberalism again. Like, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about it here. Um, how do you approach that? Do you see your body of work as a continuation of certain things and them interact with one another? Um, do you try not to do that and move your work in different directions? Is it a balancing act or does it just kind of happen the way it happens? <laughs> it, <laughs> I, I just, the more I've done this, the more I've realized like, wow, I have three things I talk about. It's neoliberalism, the 2008 recession and Ronald Reagan. Like I can't stop talking about that. Um, and so I, when I reference neoliberalism, because a lot of my uh, subscribers did come from the Parasite video, which is basically just neoliberalism bad, the video. Um, uh, I just wanted to be self-aware about it because I don't want to sound like I'm repeating myself. Um, I even noticed that in my writing, I kind of repeat like my whatever writing patterns a lot. So I'm trying to I'm trying to break out of that. But um, yeah, I think it is good to kind of reference your earlier work and build upon it because like, yeah, again, it's, if we're approaching this like academia, like you always want to be um, kind of updating your work and kind of I don't I think that if you can't be self-reflexive about your own work then like you're not very good at writing essays that sounds really harsh I just think that it's important to always think about you know where you went wrong where you could do better um and kind of challenge your former ideas about things and your former arguments um because like a lot of the time in my videos I do kind of make mistakes and I I do um kind of speak hyperbolically or whatever, um, make assumptions. And I think it's good to kind of be aware of that. Um, and especially if you have a public platform, like I think it's important that people know you're aware of that and that you have evidence of being self-aware of this. Um, so yeah, I kind of approach it like that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I, first of all, I'm, I'm, I don't know how old you are, but I know I am a child of neoliberalism myself and of this current age. So I think it's fucked us up enough that we, that we have a right to talk about it as often and as we want in forever. So no, you know, I, I, I don't think you're like over repeating yourself literally at all, but you know, the, speaking of repeating myself, I'm constantly quoting the scholar and video as cat video essayist Catherine Grant, who talks about how video essayists work in the, in the flow of the internet and, you know, of online culture and how we're constantly just kind of putting stuff out there as it happens and as it goes. And of course, along the way, you're going to change your mind or continue to develop new ideas and to keep building. And I think that's healthy and good. And the, I think I think it would be a problem if people d weren't reflective in that way, as, as you say. Um, and so I I think that's great. And as I said, you, you have one of those moments moments in the liberal escapism of Bridgerton. So I think now could be a good time. We've kind of been kind of dancing around some things that happen in that video. So perhaps it could be a good time to transition to it. And so, you know, you in, in the video, you provide a pretty comprehensive overview of how you came to the subject. But I'm wondering if you give us a more kind of technical behind the scenes background story of how this video essay uh, came into being. Um, so 
essentially, um, this is one of the only videos that actually has an origin story or like an interesting one. Not even that interesting. But um, yeah, I, I so I kind of have been wanting to kind of segue into writing uh, for a while now, like not yet, but just in the future, I kind of want to, you know, start building a portfolio for myself and like practicing uh, writing for publications. So I submitted um, this article to um, a website called No Film School. I don't know. I feel like you might know it, um, but it's kind of like, yeah, this big website. So I submitted an article and it was about kind of, um, you know, escapism and how, like how it's becoming used a lot more in terms of deflecting criticism against media and how I think that it kind of poses a danger to like the future of art and whatnot. Um, and it mainly came out of the fact that I had just watched Emily in Paris, which like is a whole mess and i had also watched bridgerton at the same time and i was like where like why does netflix keep churning out garbage and then pretending it's good and letting everyone kind of write it off as escapism because you know i watch i've watched a lot of sex in the city and like it does have its own problems in many ways but at the same time like it's still a very well-written piece of media and does have an interesting thing to say about the culture that, you know, they, people that were living in at the time. And it's still escapism. Like, I think it's, it is great and escapist, but it is also good. Um, and so I think that's where kind of the contradiction lies. And so from there, I was kind of, I just couldn't get my mind off of the fact that <laughs> Bridgerton was so popular. And I was just kind of annoyed about it. Um, and I was just sort of thinking a lot about this kind of difficult question of hollow representation. I think it's something no one wants to talk about. Um, but I think we're kind of in this age where we're kind of giving people the, the diversity that, you know, the people have asked for and also need and is, you know, uh, very long overdue, but we're giving it to them in these really half-assed attempts at, you know, art. And I think it's insulting. Um, and I think Bridgerton for me was one of those examples, but of course, you know, I'm not necessarily like a person of color. So I think it's, it's very difficult to kind of come in and just talk about these things on behalf of people. So I kind of thought it was an interesting challenge for me to kind of juggle these ideas without kind of, um, taking up too much room. I don't know. I think it's just a very, it's a very gray subject matter. So I think I just kind of wanted to explore it and kind of unpack it, if you will. Um, and so that's kind of how I came to the video idea. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And did you end up writing an article um, about it? And if, if you did, what were you able to do in the video that you weren't unable to do in the article? Like, could you talk through the differences uh, between between the two? Totally. So the article also kind of talks about Emily in Paris. So it, it is a bit more of a broad subject and more about escapism, whereas Bridgerton kind of, my video kind of covers um, a few lenses on the subject. Um, the article had an 800 word limit. So already there, it's kind of difficult to get things across. But at the same time, um, I was able to kind of integrate older media in my um, video and kind of it was just a lot more flexible with what I could like kind of um, integrate and talk about and I think music played a big role like I wanted to include that Beatles song which I couldn't really you can't really get across in an article so I think that there's just like um, kind of many things at work and also to in answer to your question about why I chose it for today I just I was so I've always been I've been kind of ashamed of the video ever since I posted it because the audio <laughs> of myself um in the video is dubbed <laughs> 
because my in-person audio was so bad that I had to dub it. And someone actually commented and they were like, your voice is very dry. So either you're dubbing it or like something else, whatever, they mentioned something else. They were like, I'm an audio engineer, so I would know this. And I was like, oh my God. (laughs) And so now looking back, it's like the production is just so off. Like the lighting's off. I'm blurry, like whatever. I I filmed it all myself on this like really bad camera. So whatever. But then I rewatched it recently and I was like, oh, I actually kind of like this. I think that I just, I think I struck a pretty good, like (laughs) I kind of found a way to kind of um, wrestle with these many different ideas I was having at the time and kind of bring it all into like a cohesive whole. So I was actually quite proud of it. Um, So I thought it'd be one that kind of was like the richest text to talk about today. Yeah, no, for sure. First of all, I didn't notice that at all. Um, And even if I did, I really, even if I had noticed that, it would have made me like the video even more. And I already like it a lot because it's like, that's what I love about this shit is it's like creators who don't have these like huge teams or whatever. It's like, we're, we're just trying to get this shit that, that what's inside of our heads out there. You know what I mean? And so I, I, I really respect that. And I think, you know, you had one, you know, there, there were so many great moments in, in the video that I definitely plan on stealing in conversations with people when we talk about this. And one of them was like, you know, y- y- you talk a lot about how we, you know, these stories hide behind this sense of escapism and are very selective in when they want to be like based on a true story and when they're just trying to like recreate something new. And as you say, kind of try half-heartedly to address issues of race and representation that people have been, you know, advocating for for years. And you say, well, if if it's true escapism, why not change their name? Like, why not change King George III's name? And I thought it was such a, I, I thought it was like the way you built up to that it just kind of like hit me in the head and I was like wow like that just really stuck with me and I'm wondering if how when you're writing a script and maybe you didn't think that was like an aha moment when you were writing it or built built to it I don't know but that's how it felt to me when you're writing a script how do you build up to certain points in a, in a way that you make sure that you're getting them across clearly to your audience because there seems to be perhaps like a cadence to your voice or a you know just the general flow of things that's kind of like information, 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 you know, here's the point, the, the, the takeaway. Is that how you think of it or structure it? Or do you, do you agree with the way I'm talking about it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, well, I write, I, when I first am writing a script, like I write down basically every idea that I could think of in like just a bunch of jaw notes at the top of the document. Um, so I kind of keep those as a reference, but I do really try to write in stream of consciousness. Like I've always kind of done this. Um, <laughs> And I kind of, I just don't like to stop and think about what I'm writing um, at all because I think that's when I kind of get stuck. So I like to write out like a really messy draft of whatever is in my brain. And that's kind of where I get the flow. And then I can go back and plug in quotes or I can plug in like, you know, structure it more cohesively. Um, But that's just kind of how I like to approach the writing because I think you need a kind of a mixture of both, like having structure and having like a distinct, um, you know, schematic argument, but then also um, having, not having to overthink it, I think is important. And also having like a creative kind of 
process with it as well. Right. And there are certain times where you use text on screen and it seems to be like you'll you're, you'll you'll say the question out loud and then it will appear. And it's and it's typically a question or a point that it seems like you really want to emphasize or that could get at the, the heart of the video or is maybe like the beginning of, of a chapter. So what is when do you decide to kind of emphasize text on screen in this video? Like what function does that serve? Yeah. So well, so I do like to separate it into chapters and just kind of that helps both with the music portion because I'm very bad at mixing music. So I just like to stop and start uh, with each chapter, a new song. Um, So that helps with that and kind of giving people like a visual framework for the essay because they're not reading it. And then in terms of putting the text on screen randomly, um, I know I think the video has like three questions at the end that I ask in like a row. (laughs) But um, yeah, it tends to be questions that are kind of like the central the central thesis of the video or like the central like research question basically. And I think those are ones that I want people to think about. And I think that if I'm just asking it in audio format, I don't think people, it would digest as well. So I think putting it on screen just helps people like, yeah, what you were saying, really get across to people that I think this is important as opposed to whatever else I'm saying. That makes a lot of sense. And mentally, as I was watching, I appreciated kind of the, you know, the chapters and being able to really, you know, think through the different parts and then have those questions at the end to kind of, you know, tie me, tie me back together. You tie so much together in this, like, TV, film, volunteerism, neo I wrote them down, neoliberalism, you know, questions of historicity, the way Disney handles its archive representation, race, racism, other video essays, all of these things. You know, I've never made anything close to this. I don't know if I could, but I imagine there must be some kind of balance that you think about when you're making a video to not include too much information or, or, or lose a sense of direction and that there must be some type of balancing act to make sure that you stay on course. Um, and if and if that's true, how do you how do you strike that balance and make sure you are not, in, you know, including too much information for the audience. I think I do think the chapters help with that. Like, I think that they because it's also not an essay that's being graded, like a lot of these would not do that well if I was submitting it to a teacher because they're so like they break so many rules. Um, but I think separating into, ch- into chapters really helps um, kind of categorize your arguments. Um, I do think this video is the one that actually that tackles the most um, whatever disparate um, ideas, but I'm not really sure. I, I think it's just always good. Like I have script editor, like um, my partner edits my scripts and then my um, friend Sarah and they kind of go through and I every time before they go through the script, I just ask them like, can you make sure or can you let me know where I'm kind of deviating from the point? Or can you let me know if there's like a through line throughout the script and it's not too all over the place? Um, and sometimes it's a bigger struggle than others, especially with longer videos. Um, but I think it's just important to have like a second look at it and for people to kind of go through and just tell you what's up, basically. <laughs> <laughs> right. That makes a lot of sense. And your answer there actually reminds me of a question that I meant to ask um, earlier in the conversation. So this is a good moment. And that is you you have collaborators on on your videos. Um, you know, you've in, at the end of your years, give research credits or script supervisor credits or what have you. Um, and you mentioned that this is your your full time job. So I imagine, you know, you, you know, there's a lot of production that goes into these things and making sure that that they're good. Um, what does your you know, what does your collaborative process look like? Like, who do you work with and how does that shape the videos? Like how much of it is you and then how much of it is working with other people? And I'm sure each video is is different, but just I'd be curious to get a general sense of what that's like. Mm-hmm. So they all have different roles. Um, my friend Hannah, 
she kind of started out, she was in my Sofia Coppola video and she's like my best friend. I live with her and uh, we both have like very similar ideas about things. And I asked her to be in the Coppola video because Sofia Coppola is her favorite <laughs> filmmaker. And I was like, she just needs to be in this. Um, so that kind of is where the collaborative element started. Um, and she mainly focuses on, because I kind of try to focus on also what they want to put on their resume um, because they're my friends. Like I just, I honestly just want to help them out um, if I can. And so, you know, Sarah is more focused because she did, I think, I think she did cultural studies in school, but so she's more focused kind of on the theory aspect of things. She does a lot of like the more theory based research. Um, and then Hannah does a lot of the kind of, um, I don't know how to describe it. Like she, she goes through kind of like a, the more tangible research, kind of like the base, the basic facts of, you know, what the media is that I'm talking about. And then she also builds the sets um, because I can't do that. And she also is part of the, she's all my whole production team. Basically. She also films it. Um, so she's doing a lot of that. Um, and then Nick of course is doing the thumbnails and he's like my main script editor. Cause he's, you know, like a copywriter. So <laughs> he's important to have. Um, but I think, you know, for the most part, it is me. Like I'm writing the script. Um, I'm mostly editing it. Like I edit it before they see it. Um, I'm editing the video, which is like, I can't even describe to you how exhaustive this last video was. Like I, I worked for 14 hours yesterday, just editing like the final parts of it. Um, so it's pretty exhaustive. Um, I am doing most of the work. It is still me because if it wasn't still me, I wouldn't, I don't think I would just be the face of it. Like I would have more people in it. Um, but yeah, so it's pretty collaborative in terms of like, they're very, they're really good support for just kind of like the stuff that is just way too much for me to handle. Um, and stuff that, you know, isn't my expertise. Like I can't build my own set. Hannah is like very creative and artistic. Um, and she wants to kind of maybe go into that in the future. So that's helpful. Um, and then like, yeah, Nick is just good at editing. So it's like those kind of things. I think we kind of uh, separate the jobs that way. That makes a lot of sense. And you know, your latest video I should plug, cause I think I'm going to be released. We're recording this on September 29th and my goal is to release it tomorrow. Um, <laughs> and, um, because I've been lazy and not released a podcast this month. So that's going to be my goal. But, um, the love Island, uh, flirtation with surveillance is the latest video, which I have not watched yet, but I look forward to watching, uh, this evening. No, I'm excited. Um, and you know, actually in this, in your video on, um, the, uh, the problem of method acting, you also, you interview one of your friends, right? Who, uh, works as an actor and your, your, your friend, she kind of functions as like an kind of an expert that you bring in to, to, to talk about the method. Right. Um, and so it is great to see how you, you know, tie in people in your own life to, to make these videos, um, happen. But as you say, it's clear you're the, the driving force, um, behind them. I'm surrounded by ridiculously talented people. Like everyone around me is, has like a various, we went to art school. So literally everyone is so talented and amazing. So I, yeah, I could not have them in it. <laughs> yeah, actually, that, that reminds me of another question that I forgot to ask you, which is what is your um, what is your background? Like, did you study um, filmmaking or, or cinema studies or what, what did you? Yeah. What's your background in that respect? Uh, so I went to um, my undergrad was in political science, uh, which is funny. And then my grad program is it's kind of a mixture between communication studies and cultural studies. It's more on the cultural studies side of things. So I think that's kind of where 
most of my video knowledge has come from because poli-sci, yeah, there's, it doesn't really have much practical application to the videos. But yeah, so I know I didn't study filmmaking. A lot of my friends did, which is actually really ironic, but not me. <laughs> <laughs> I started off as a poli-sci major, so I can I can Whoa. really, and, and maybe and maybe it, I like to think that it helps me in ways I don't even realize, like maybe somewhere in the oh, back yeah, of my head. Hello, fellow <laughs> but, nerd. <laughs> I, just, yeah. I, just, I just love politics. <laughs> yeah. Um, wait, do you mind if I ask where you're in grad school now? Are you in grad school now? Yeah. So, no, I actually just graduated, but I was at Ryerson University. Um, yeah. So I was there and now I'm not. And now I have to figure out what I want to do with my life. But we'll, we'll figure that out. <laughs> Relate super hard. Relate super hard. Getting back to you. And I, and I love hearing that you have a friend who does the sets and helps you with the production. It, you know, one of the things that I definitely come to associate with the, uh, we might call it the YouTube aesthetic or ways that people make video essays on YouTube is the creator appearing in front of the camera during their video. And in this video and throughout your work, you appear throughout um, at, at, at different points. And I had no idea that you dubbed, which is hilarious because as I was watching, I was like, wow, the sound in her part must be incredible because the, it sounds exactly the same, which is so stupid for me to think in hindsight, but that's how, that's how you're dubbing really fooled me. Yeah, no, it was good. Um, when do you, what, you know, why is this an effective, you know, uh, stylistic choice for you in your videos? And when do you decide is the best points in the narration for you to appear on screen? So I actually like my videos more when I'm not in them. Um, I, I, part of the reason, the reason I'm in them, half of the reason is because I'm narcissistic and I like dressing up for the videos. And the other half is because sponsors really prefer you to have a face, um, which I know is so capitalistic, but that is basically kind of half and half the reason. I do like dressing up, but filming in person is an absolute nightmare. Um, I don't enjoy it and I feel really awkward on camera, but typically... I'm trying to get better at it because I think that it, I come a, a little bit too infrequently in the videos that it's a bit random. Um, so I'm trying to find a better way to integrate that and maybe get better sound so I'm just talking the whole time. So essentially, I basically look at the script and whichever parts are more casual, I'll say to the camera. Um, and then whichever parts are more like whatever academic, I'll say um, via audio. I don't think a lot. I don't think enough about it, um, about the in-person parts uh, before I make the video, which is why sometimes it looks like I'm kind of just reciting a weird part of an essay because I am. Um, so I'm going to try to get better at that. Um, I've been looking at a lot of ContraPoints' videos recently. I don't want to copy her, but she does a really amazing job of kind of being on camera and kind of having that balance between being on camera and being casual and then being off camera. So I, I'm, I've been trying to figure that out. It's difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to ask a question that's going to make me sound so lame, and I promise that I'm not <laughs> lame. But <laughs> it seems to me that humor is an important function <laughs> in your videos. I know that makes me sound like a literal robot, um, but I notice that sometimes, like the cutaways to yourself, are like the funniest moments. Like, is it in is it in this video where you're holding your cat? Or, 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 or in one oh, yeah. in one of your videos, like you're doing, you're doing that. And again, this like maybe I'll even cut this question out in the end because maybe it'll just sound so lame. But like, why is humor important? Like, it, it, like it, it's just like that like tongue in cheek humor style is like 
it's more than just you being funny. Like it's almost like something we come to expect from YouTube video essays. Is that is that true? That sounds so lame, but hopefully you know what I'm getting at. <laughs> I um yeah. I find that mainly it's because the first, I just don't like being self-serious in my personal life. And I didn't want a lot of my friends when I first started making videos to find out about the channel because it's none of us are earnest at all. Like we are all so buried in irony that we cannot fathom being earnest. It's so embarrassing for all of us. Um, So I was very embarrassed about it. And like my early videos are so self-serious. Like I cannot watch the Parasite one. It's so embarrassing. So I try to kind of... I wanted to be entertaining for people. And I think, you know, part of the reason I loved Lindsay Ellis when I first started watching YouTube was that she like, she's really good at being funny. Like she's just genuinely funny. And her videos are just a fun experience to watch. Like they're not too academic. They feel casual. It feels like your friend is telling you about a movie they just saw. And I think that's kind of what I want to go for. It sounds like I'm just directly copying these people, but like I'm trying to find my own kind of originality with it. But And I think I am funny in my personal life, so I want to try to be funny in this. It's hard, though. I don't think it always works. But yeah, I think it's just important to keep people engaged and like to keep if you have a joke about a certain piece of media, like they're going to remember that. And if it's like a smart joke, they're going to remember the smart joke better than they are your, I don't know, dumb academic argument. So it's good to kind of have a mixture. Definitely. I relate so hard to what you just said. And you said it way better than than I could have. And I should have phrased my question like that. Dumb academic yeah. argument. <laughs> no, but I think it's it's more, it's less about like me trying to be like, why is humor funny? And more like, I think you're so right that A, like that lack of earnestness and that level of irony, again, relate hard to that in my own personal relationships. But also I think you are right that I think we are just drawn to people who don't take themselves too seriously and who can be self-deprecating. And so it, it makes mm-hmm. total sense like why that is, you know, a part of it. And then I think it's like those moments allow you to talk about neoliberalism or whatever in such an a- accessible way. So <laughs> I think that I think that makes so much sense. Hmm. <laughs> and <laughs> well speaking of people that you have been influenced by or as you say that you're you know let's transition to segment three because segment three is when we talk about a video essay that you've selected for us to talk about and when i initially dm'd you on twitter and was like you want to come on my podcast like here's here are the instructions um you originally had selected a different video essay for us to to talk about and then you ultimately changed because you said that you wanted to pick a piece that was more formative for you and that kind of more was more influential and i think I relate so hard to what you said about when you're just trying to figure this out, like trying to find people who you seek to be inspired by and emulate as you try to figure out how do you do whatever it is that you're doing. So I'm super excited to to, to talk about the video essay that you've selected uh, for us to talk about. Would you mind introducing it um, for the audience and telling us why uh, you selected it for us to, uh, to talk about today? Yes. So yeah, I, I chose um, Treasure Planet Disney's Biggest Mistake by Bread Sword. Yeah, I initially chosen another video because I think I'm just trying to figure out. I, I, I did like a Q&A a while back and people were annoyed that I didn't. They Someone asked about my favorite YouTubers and I didn't say enough small YouTubers. And like, obviously, I want to use my platform to promote smaller YouTubers. And this person I was so excited for because they made this video and it just went viral and whatever. So I, I that was why I chose that original video, because I thought it was great and like wanted to support them. But I do think it was harder for me to talk about at length. So I figured I'd choose Red Swords because um, this is something that I, I've just I've thought I tried to think about a video that I've watched 
multiple times and I've watched this video so many times. I love it. I just think it's so wonderful. Um, I've said this a bunch in different things, but like I just find Bread Sword so good at writing about what he loves. Like I think that a lot of video essays are negative. Like mine are typically like, you know, they're critical. Like they're critical of the media they're talking about. And it's so much harder to be um to write about media that you love and to write about why you love it. And I think he does such a good job of that. And just for a first essay, like for a first video, this is so impressive. Like he strikes his, he hits his stylistic notes so early on in his like YouTube career. Um, And he kind of, I don't know, he he just feels very like sure of himself considering this is the first video. Um, It's so like impeccably edited. The audio quality is amazing, which is like rare. I can attest to that. Um, And it's just wonderful. I just think it's a wonderful, lovely video. I hadn't realized that it was the first video. That's yeah, that makes it even more um, amazing. And, you know, we'll give a plug to the other video before we continue that you um, had mentioned, I believe it was Brave was a, a disappointment by... Um, E-Licorice, I think. E-Licorice, yes. Um, so check out that video as well. Getting back on track to the um, the video that you selected for us uh, to talk about, do you remember when was the first time you, you watched it? And do you remember what the reaction you had to it was then? Like, would you cite this video as one that encouraged you to want to start doing this yourself? Because I believe this was released in 2017 and you said that you had started kind of dabbling in in, in 2018. So was this an early influence for you? Yes, it was. Um, It, oh my God, I just, I think he just has this really great intro where he's just very moody. Like his videos have a very, he really sets the mood of the video really well. And I think it has this really wonderful intro and then build up and then the title sequence happens and he has this Marvin Gaye song play. And I was like, it's so wild to have a Marvin Gaye song in application to this video about Treasure Planet. Like, that's so interesting. And I just think that he his videos are so sleek and sophisticated. And I just really liked that about them. They're so stylized. And you can see kind of his own personal interests kind of seep through um, all of his videos, especially this one with like his musical interests and like his aesthetic choices and like his, ex- um, whatever his exit animation, like all of these things kind of come together in his videos. Um, and so that really inspired me. Cause like, um, I kind of wanted to do that. Like I wanted to, I had, I have a lot of interests and I kind of want to seep that into my videos as well. And like, I want to get that out there and it feels kind of like a little personal ode to, something you like. So yeah, I think he was, it was incredibly influential for me. Um, that sounds so pretentious, but yeah, no, I think, I, I think it was, it very much inspired me. I think it was the video that inspired me to start making videos. Wow. That's, that's fantastic. And as you say, you, you, you really can feel that, the, the, the personal nature to it. And I think it, I think something about treasure planet couldn't not be personal, right? Because it's not, because just the, the simple fact that he's making a video about treasure planet and not like the Incredibles, which I also love, but it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's clearly being made from a a deep personal place, right? Because it's trying to champion and bring attention to, you know, his own passions and, and understanding, um, of the world. Um, and I definitely see his influence on your work, um, for sure. I, you know, I, I really do see the, the, the similarities between them. One of the things that I think about this video and your videos is like the, the rhythm of them and how you establish a rhythm with 
the editing. And one of the things that I'm always curious about is, you know, there are moments in your videos and in this video where you focus on like a single specific thing in the video that you're talking about, right? Like whether it's like this specific shot or this angle or something that happens. But there are other times where you're um, showing images that are kind of related to what you're talking about, but are just kind of images to accompany the main point that you're trying to make in the script. And it seems to me that this video does a really good job of maintaining that rhythm and providing images that don't distract you or that don't take your attention away from like the point that's being made. I feel that this video is a very good job of doing that. And I'm wondering as a, as a creator yourself, is that something that you think about? Like not saying that there are images that matter less in a certain video, but it seems like there are moments in each video where the image isn't the main point of emphasis. And so how do you decide what to edit and what to put in, in those moments? Well, Brad sort of thing does a better job of this in terms of kind of He's not very he's not afraid to use like very extra diegetic images like he'll use images like uh, from I don't know, like random movies and random shows that have absolutely nothing to do with what he's talking about, but like vaguely kind of reference it. And it still kind of works the way he does it. And I think it's really fun and specific to his style. Um, It's a bit harder for me in my videos because they're kind of academic and because most of the time I'm not specifically referencing a shot like it's happened in a couple videos, like my point break video where I kind of try to break down a scene and like creators like every frame of painting and like all of those people really focus on like the specifics of what they're talking about but like because mine are so general most of the images i'm taking are just kind of referential um but they can't be so random as to like completely untether my point um so it depends on what it is um this last video i did was like the reason it took so long to make was because you know love island has seven seasons and 50 plus episodes a season and nothing happens. <laughs> like that's the whole point. Barely anything happens. So like you're just sifting through and trying to find content that kind of like symbolizes what you mean, but isn't the exact thing you're talking about. And that's really difficult to find that balance. I think f- sourcing clips is like the absolute hardest part of making the video because like that's another essay on its own is just the sequence, like the sequence of clips that you're showing. Um, and so I think it's really difficult to kind of get that right. I don't think I always do. Um, and sometimes you'll put a clip in and someone will be like, I can't believe you showed a clip of this person when you were saying that thing. And you were like, oh, shoot, like, I just wanted to put a clip there. I didn't realize that that had like, you know, s- significance, but it, it's a signifier of what you're talking about. So you actually really do have to think about what you're putting uh, where. Right. One of the things that we talk about a lot on this show is wanting to avoid just giving like an illustrated lecture, right? Where you're just reading, reading an essay aloud and essentially just putting pictures to it. When you're, when you're editing, do you, how much of the script is written when you start actually editing the video and using Premiere or what have you? And how much interplay is there between the two? Like how much is, how much is the actual video editing influencing the script itself? itself and vice versa it's fully written when i do because i don't think i'm savvy enough of an editor um i have the script fully planned out and like i have every single sentence associated with a different clip like we timestamp the script so it's like completely littered with um stuff um but i do want to get like i try to get dynamic with the way that like with showing audio clips for example in between different things um i really try to avoid just showing images because i think that is a huge part of like lectures is just showing like an image and putting a ken burns uh on it 
And so I think, or Ken Burns, whatever, zoom on it. And I really try to avoid that. Like I always want, I always want it to be moving in some way. Um, But yeah, I'm pretty rigid with it. I want to get better at that because I want to just be a better editor in general. And I think a lot of that comes down to experimenting. Um, I completely agree. Like it's, it's, you don't want to come across like you're just doing a lecture with visuals. So I, and I think my, my partners talked a lot about that just with me is just kind of like finding a way to flow it better and make it more engaging rather than just like, this is this, this is this. Um, so I'm still working on that at the moment, I think. <laughs> right. No, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, getting back to this video, I think one of the things that I most appreciate about, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's, there's certain things that, um, he's doing here in this video that you couldn't do in a, in a traditional written essay. Like there's one part where he's, he's essentially doing an, and I, I, uh, you know, I'm not well educated on how animation works, but he does a great job of just talking through the mechanics of animation and how, oh, the rotoscoping, yeah, right, exactly, and um, and you know, in, in in visualizing that in a way that is very digestible and easy to understand, that you couldn't so easily do with the you know in, in a written essay, or maybe you could, but someone like me, I would I would have no clue how to really understand that or or, or truly get it. And so it seems one of the things I appreciate most about this video is that it's it's teaching you as it's making its argument. Right. And it's doing both of them simultaneously, which I imagine must be a really hard thing to try and balance and a a big responsibility when you're putting out. I mean, this video has what, like six million views or or something like that, you know. So, you know, really, it it seems to me to be very deliberate in the way that it's thinking about its audience and trying to say, okay, I'm going to make an argument for people of all varying levels of familiarity with how animation works and the mechanics of, you know, Disney Studios, how it works, monetizes things, you know. Um, I really appreciated that about the video. Yeah, he's really guiding you kind of in real time, like he's narrating the video in real time, or at least he kind of like uh, creates the illusion of that maybe. Um, I remember there's this like one moment that I always remember from the video is when he's like, this scene is so amazing. Like, just look at it. And like, it's such an active phrase to be like, just look at this scene. And then he shows you the scene and you're like, wow, it is amazing. And I think a lot of it is because he's like, look at this scene. Um, So I think it's a lot of like using active language, like targeting the viewer kind of, kind of like snapping them back, snapping their attention back towards what you're talking about. Um, He does a really good job of that. I completely agree. Yeah. Or like there's one part where he's like kind of prepping you for this like really cool jump cut. <laughs> and it's like when the the kid is like under the blanket and then it that's cuts him. The one, oh, that's yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, I had the same reaction where I was like, damn, that jump cut is pretty cool. You know, um, and it almost, you know, it almost seemed to me also the video is just like a good reminder to like, you know, I think not often enough when I'm watching perhaps an animated film like that, am I, am I thinking through the mechanics of how it works and how those works like do utilize, you know, film language and, and, and film technique. And in that way, it's the video is also just kind of using Treasure Planet to make a case for like how we view and interact with animated films more generally. Yeah, it introduced to me like the idea of like, it's we're not just looking at like a painting, like there is a camera associated with this like that's following like it uses camera techniques like that disney's using camera techniques in this movie that you just would never think about because it's animated but like there's so much that goes into it yeah for sure one you know one thing that i appreciate about this video and so many of your videos is for lack of a better word like the political nature of them right and and thinking through like the world in which the media object exists and the economic and social forces that surround it i'm wondering what you think the role 
of the video essayist is in trying to incorporate those videos, in, in, incorporate those aspects in their work? Like, do you think there's an obligation there to to do that whenever one can? Is or do you think that's just your style? Like, what are your thoughts on escapism in video essays? Uh, I guess because there's certainly high levels of that that exist. Well, I think I guess this is where my political science uh, brain has come into things, but I just. I'm of the mind that everything is political. Um, all media is political and it exists in a political space. So that's kind of how I, I myself approach my videos. Like, and because I'm in cultural studies, like everything is situated culturally. Everything has a cultural significance, whatever. Um, I don't necessarily think it's like everyone's duty to take a political approach to media, but there is something inherent to media criticism about that that makes it political. I love when people like comment on my videos and they're like, oh my God, it's just a movie. Like stop overthinking it. It's, don't want to make everything political. And you're like, this is my whole job. Why are you watching a video essay? So I think there there is a distinction though between like video essays like in my niche, um video essayists who kind of make more cultural commentaries on videos and the video essayists like I don't know everything every frame of a painting or like lessons from the screenplay that are more kind of the technical like film brain side of things like I don't have a film brain I can't really look at like I can't do what they do and look at how like this the significance of this shot for example um so I think that there's like a pretty hard line between those two sides of like the film uh video essay community to that point, you mentioned that, and we, we've touched on this at, at, at certain parts, but it's a question I just want to come back to because, if anything, it's the reason why I'm I started this podcast was to try and like to like figure this out and bring on people who are smarter than me to help me figure out this question, which is you know you mentioned that you wanted to become a, a writer and or, or you are a writer and that you're trying to build your portfolio and write more. What is it you know? Because I think you're right. What I, I I come to this from a film studies background, and and a lot of the things I'm interested in are kind of like the film aesthetics and things like that. And I think that's perhaps more what I associate with this kind of work. But as you know, as you're here and demonstrating, there's a whole another way of thinking about it. As you think about in the majority of the people in in my space in the academic space are people in like film and television studies backgrounds, and of course people in media studies and cultural studies or what have you. But one of the things we talk about is how this this format can be brought into a wide variety of academic disciplines. And I think if you engage with moving image, you know, media, whether you're like a cable television scholar or, you know, a, a scholar, whatever, whatever kind of media, you know, engaging in audiovisual forms, I think is something you can and should be doing in one form or another. And I'm wondering, what is it about your video essays that you think you would not be able to capture in writing as far, you know, apart from you can self-publish a 40 minute video, but you couldn't just submit like a 16,000 word script or something to to a um, to, to, to a publication. Like, what is it about the form itself that makes it so compelling and able to reach so many people? Because I would imagine there are YouTube videos of yours that get thousands of more views than written articles, even in major publications about similar topics. Like, what is it about those about your videos and, and the form itself? I think a lot of it comes down to mood. Like, I think that film is like inherently like affective like it, it create instills affect within the viewer it's like evocative um and i think you know 
it's so much easier to build an argument when you also have like music building below it and like certain tones, like kind of getting the right tone um, for different things. Like if you're talking about someone who died, you don't want to have happy music playing beneath it. And I think that that like all of that kind of contributes to creating this kind of mood within the viewer. And like, it's almost a lot easier to kind of like give your argument to flow when it's kind of a more affective medium. Like I think it's, and I think it's also just more personal. Like I think it's more personal than like a piece of writing because I have control over so many of the different elements. Like you're getting a piece of what I, what I think is important in every single part of the video that I couldn't get across to you in writing. I think it's like a lot less, a lot less clinical. Obviously writing is very powerful. Like I don't want to denounce, like obviously books are amazing. Like go read. But like, but I do think that this is kind of like a really interesting new uh, avenue for, for writing because of this kind of affective elements to it. I couldn't agree more. And on on that note, I think is a beautiful way to end our end our conversation. Um, thank you so so much um, for taking the time to join us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me and for reaching out. <laughs> mm-hmm.